Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Roisin. And welcome to the Fitness Fertility Podcast. This podcast is all about how improving your physical fitness can help support you on your very own fertility journey. I'm a personal trainer who specialises in training women with fertility problems. I myself have PCOS and have had two beautiful boys, and I'm on a mission to help you do the same. Before we get into it, we will be discussing adult themes such as where do babies come from, pregnancy loss and bereavement. We may also be sweary from time to time. We are optimistic, light-hearted girls, but we know this is a really stressful time for some of our listeners. We respect that. Just before we get into the world of IVF, I want to share some fabulous news. A huge congratulations to Alea, one of my clients from last year and a guest on this very show. Alea and her husband recently welcomed their beautiful baby Alba into the world. So a massive congratulations to them both. If you'd like to hear all about Alea's own trying to conceive journey, then do go back and listen to that episode. Today's show has been on our minds for a while, but it was prompted by the fantastic Hannah Von Jones when she was describing to us her experience of IVF. And the quite confusing world of IVF as well. One of the reasons why we really wanted to do this show in particular was we're very cognizant that sometimes people talk about IVF as if it's part of common mm -hmm. discussions, but it really isn't. It really is the preserve of people that are really going through fertility, having gone through fertility for a while. You have said at times you felt like you needed to have a medical qualification mm -hmm. in order to understand some of the terminology that was coming towards you when you were going through your fertility journey. I am really looking forward to talking about this today and hopefully it will just really help clarify, even if it's just some of the basics. Maria, so how does a client of yours get to IVF? That is a really good question. And I'm glad we're starting here, actually. So we're starting at the beginning. For most people, IVF is not the first thing that happens. Just to kind of reduce the fear in any listeners today, you don't just go to the GP and all of a sudden you start with IVF. That's not normally what happens. The only people that tend to go straight to IVF, if you like, are people where it is clinically impossible for them to get pregnant. One really good example of this actually is Amber Itzo, who was on last week. She unfortunately had the diagnosis of blocked fallopian tubes, which meant they had to be removed. And it meant that it was clinically impossible for Amber to become pregnant naturally. So she had to go straight to IVF. For a lot of people, though, what will happen is you will realise that something's not quite right. So I'm actually thinking of a particular client here she got all the tests done. She got a diagnosis of PCOS, finally got her appointment with the gynecologist. When she went into the gynecologist, she was obviously fully expecting to then get Clomid for the PCOS. And in this situation, that is what happened, which meant she did not have to go straight to IVF, which is fantastic news. Similar things if you've got endometriosis, you don't usually go straight to IVF. You might have surgery to try and remove some of the endometriosis, then you would try and conceive again. So it's only after you've gone through these kind of preliminary stages. If they then don't work, then you might start looking at things like IVF. But the hope is that you don't actually have to get to IVF in the first place, just because it can be really quite invasive and really uncomfortable for people, which we will get on to talking about, I'm sure. For your clients, when they get to the IVF stage, do they view that as a good thing or a bad thing? Ah, oh, I love this question. One of my clients at the minute, she has just had her frozen embryo transfer. And for her, she saw the getting to IVF as a really good thing. Because to be honest with you, I think she was just delighted to get going. 
as much as we love the NHS, it can take so long to get there. You've got to go through all the tests. You've got to wait for all the appointments. We've heard all these horror stories of people living in the wrong area. And so just to get to IVF for a lot of people is finally this joyful thing. And they're absolutely delighted to start. For some people, though, getting to IVF is a really upsetting and quite traumatic experience because for some people, there's so much shame. There's shame tied up around that their body couldn't do, as some people put it, what nature intended. They don't want to talk to the family about it. They don't want to talk to their friends about it. And the main thing a lot of my clients worry about is, if this doesn't work, what am I going to do next? Because for a lot of people, you know, they've been on this journey for five, six years. Like I said before, you don't just suddenly jump into IVF. They have been doing it for five or six years. The analogy I like to use is it's like an athlete who's run a marathon and they're delighted to finish. And then you say, you've got one more mile. And at that point, you're done. You know, you've given it your all. So it really depends on your situation. It depends on who you are. And it's a really interesting question. And my clients all approach it slightly differently. But generally speaking, they're the two camps people tend to fall into. It must be very confusing for people. I don't know how I would feel about it. Will I feel it as just another great opportunity to have a go at something or my last opportunity to have a go at something? It must be so tough. It's really tough. And I think, again, there are so many variables that go just into that. You know, your age, your egg quality, your ovarian reserve. We've talked before about things like BMI and just your physical health. There's loads of research out about gut health and all of these immune system disorders. People have got so much going on. And actually, one of the things Amber Rizzo said, which I did really like, was one of the ways she judges a clinic is if they treat you as an individual. You know, not just as a walking statistic that walks in the door. And she's absolutely right. Every single person has a different story. And whenever I speak to clients and whenever I have consultations, I'm always really taken aback by how different every single person is. It really, really does take me aback. Their age is different. Their experience is different. Their relationship is different. It's absolutely mind boggling. So yeah, there are huge variables. So it very much depends on who you are and where you've been. And I know Amber made that point and you made that point very well on last week's show about individualized care and how mm -hmm. important that is. But I'm assuming there is a set protocol and what you can expect when you're going through the IVF tunnel. Can you explain for us, me particularly, <laughs> what that process looks like? Yes, I absolutely can. I will happily give an overview of this. But again, just like we say every week, we are not clinicians, but this is generally speaking the process that people go through when they are experiencing IVF. At this point, you know you're going to have IVF. You will have a clinic that's supporting you through the IVF process. Hopefully, they will have told you exactly what to do and when to do it. So one of the first things that will happen is you will have to go in for your baseline scan, which again is what a lot of my clients, a lot of them are around about that stage at the minute, actually. So you have to go in for your baseline scan. It's called a baseline scan because they just want to see what's going on. So they will examine your ovaries and they will give your doctors information about both the quality and the quantity of your eggs. You might also have your high cozy. This is the one where they check if your fallopian tubes are blocked. I have had that myself. Anyone listening, it's okay, but maybe take some painkillers just before. It's just a bit uncomfortable. They will check for things like polyps, fibroids, scar tissue. It's a little bit like an MOT just to see what they're working with. Once you've had that and once they know what's going on inside with uterus and ovaries, they will all then have the information to put together a treatment plan for you. And this is where people start talking about protocols. Your protocol is your treatment plan. What you hear people talking about are long protocols and short protocols. 
And based on you and your situation and your uterus and your ovaries and your hormones and everything like that, the doctor will then suggest to you whether or not you're going to have a long protocol or a short protocol. If you have the long protocol, as you might imagine, the idea is this one takes ever so slightly longer in terms of just preparing your body for the actual embryo transfer, which is the end goal, if you like, of the IVF process. The long protocol is where they basically downregulate your body so that they can then take control of everything that's going on. It's like they kind of switch things off so they can start everything back up in their own way and control everything that's going on. And this is where you hear about women on birth control. So it's an interesting question that you asked earlier, Roisin, about how people feel. Some women find it very difficult if they're on the long protocol to then have to take birth control. Because even though they fully understand where you're going with this, birth control for a lot of women has a lot of emotions tied up into it. That's so interesting that you've been put on the one thing that's going to absolutely stop this from happening. Do you know what that must be like? That must be like doing a handbrake turn in the middle of a motorway. Mm -hmm. I know, okay, you can be logical about this and you can be like, okay, I get it. Mm -hmm. Again, it's wasted time, isn't it? I love the analogy of the handbrake. It made me think actually of, I think it was Katie Bradbury, the nutritionist we had on. She was talking about basically the same thing, like doing a reset for people and they feel like they're going backwards, but actually it's to get you moving in the right direction. It's a similar idea, but you're absolutely right. It feels like wasted time for a lot of people, even though they know that they're heading in the right direction. But that's what the long protocol is. So once they've done your baseline scan, basically if they need to control everything, they'll put you on long protocol get you back to basics so that they can take over control through medication. They might decide you don't need the long protocol, which is absolutely fine. That's when you're put on the short protocol. It's just where you skip the downregulation stage. What then happens is, hopefully, you either, after the long protocol or the short protocol, your period will then arrive. And what they will do is, on day three of your period, they will scan you. They will have a look. They will see how everything's going. If everything is as they want it to be, you will then begin stimulation or stims as it's known in the TTC community. This to me is so interesting. This is where you're given FSH, which again, we've talked about in previous episodes. This is your follicle stimulating hormone. And this is where the injections with IVF come in as well. So again, if you follow anyone in the trying to conceive community, there are needles involved at this stage. The idea here is you are stimulating the ovaries into making multiple follicles and therefore hopefully eggs so that you can then do the egg retrieval a little bit later on. One of the key things that people have to look out for here is the OHSS, which Sarah from IVF Babble, when she came on, she was chatting about because she experienced this, unfortunately. So OHSS is the ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome, can be incredibly uncomfortable, but also quite dangerous. And this is just where your ovaries are overstimulated. They've got too many eggs. And again, I've spoken to clients, actually one of my clients the other day actually was saying, what exercises can I do? Because her ovaries, they feel like melons. She was like, I look bloated. I can feel them kind of jiggling around. And when it comes to exercise, for anyone that's in this particular stage, one of the main things that doctors worry about here is ovarian torsion. And it is exactly how it sounds. It's your ovaries can twist on themselves, which is incredibly dangerous and very, very painful. Only happens, you know, 
you've got about a 1% chance of this happening. And the advice is don't jiggle. <laughs> that is literally the advice in the scientific literature is when you're going through stims, don't jiggle your ovaries. So there you go. Anyone listening, don't jiggle the ovaries. Ovarian torsion is what you need to avoid. Obviously, you don't want to jiggle your ovaries. <laughs> you do not want to jiggle your ovaries, no. Considering that your client was asking you that, I'm assuming you're still recommending a certain amount of exercise during that time. I've actually developed some workouts. They're not the catchiest of names, but they're just called low impact, no twist. And they developed very organically through other clients I've had in this situation. I've got clients this week, actually, that have said to me, I now get up before work and I look forward to doing my morning workout, which is absolutely amazing. Low impact, no twist, no jumping, no plyometrics. We're not doing the kind of Russian twists. We're doing a lower intensity workout, which doesn't jiggle or twist your ovaries, partly just so that my clients can feel comfortable and still feel like they're keeping that fitness journey going. And then hopefully that will lead them very nicely into the next stage of IVF, which is their egg collection. This is where you start seeing numbers. So again, if you're following people on the trying to conceive community, this is where the numbers come in. Because what will happen is you're going through stims, on day five of your stimulation treatment, they'll give you and blood and ultrasound tests. And then basically they keep doing this every kind of day or two until the day of egg collection uh, comes around. And obviously this is a really nerve wracking time for people because you need those follicles to be growing because that's where the eggs come from. And obviously the goal here is we need to get as many healthy eggs as possible so that we can fertilize as many eggs as possible. That's the process that then leads to you having these lovely embryos ready for your embryo transfer. At this stage, you've been doing stims, you're getting checked, your follicles are growing. You ideally want your follicles to grow to about 18 to 20 millimeters, which again, I think sounds, I know millimeters are small, but that sounds quite big to me, especially if you've got a lot growing in your ovaries. I can see why people would get uncomfortable. Yeah, absolutely. You only have to produce one egg per month. So there can't be a huge amount of room there. Well, obviously people are doing it. But they're uncomfortable. They literally say to me, I can feel it. I feel like I'm carrying around watermelons. That's what people say. Wow. You know, they genuinely feel like their ovaries are huge because they are. They're being stimulated to grow as many follicles. Follicles lead to eggs as possible. What then happens is once your follicles get to about 12 to 14 millimetres, they then grow at a rate of around two millimetres per day. And again, to me, that just sounds like they're on fire. You know, they're like, let's grow, grow, grow. So your follicles are growing. And again, this is where you get into, right, how many follicles do I have growing? And this is where people have scans. And it is a really nerve wracking time for people because you do hear stories of people where they just don't respond to the stims. And it's really, really upsetting because you've already gone through all of this work and all of this effort. Oh, that must be so disappointing. Absolutely devastating. You've done all of this work. If things are going well, and fingers crossed to anybody that's going through this at the minute, but if things are going well, your average number of follicles is around 10 to 12. It does very much depend on you, your age, your protocol, all of this type of thing. And you do hear one of my clients of the day, I think they got 21 eggs from one of her egg retrievals. So she had a huge number of follicles, which is incredible. Sorry to interrupt, but I know that you want a baby in 2023. So I want to let you know about my all new training plans. I know so many of you are fed up with trying to lower your BMI alone. You feel confused and overwhelmed with the information around fitness for fertility, and you really just want a baby. My training plans are designed to support you at whatever stage of your journey you're at. Whether you need to lose £12 or more to reach a target BMI, if you would like accountability support, 
Or if you need meal plans to support your nutrition, head over to fitnessfertility.com forward slash training for fertility to find out more. Or book in for a free consultation at fitnessfertility.com forward slash free consultation to discuss your own personal fertility needs. And now back to the show. Once your doctors know everything's okay, you then get to a very exciting time, which is the trigger shot. And this is where, again, you see lots of people on Insta and TikTok and they just put up a thing and it says we've pulled the trigger. And this is the bit that causes basically the egg to mature and just loosen a bit from the follicle so you can then collect that egg. Because we need to remember the eggs come from the follicles. You've simulated the hell out of your ovaries, right? They are growing. Those follicles are growing. The eggs are maturing in the follicles. You pull the trigger, eggs mature, and then your doctor will collect your eggs. It's incredible. I'm assuming, Maria, that the trigger shot is like an injection or something, is it? So the trigger shot is an injection of HCG. This is the bit that gets the egg to mature so that the doctor can then go in and actually collect the eggs from the follicle. It's a really exciting time. The thing people get super stressed about here is that timing is crucial. And I mean, like, absolutely crucial. The trigger shot has to be given about 36 hours prior to egg retrieval. It has to be. If you mess the timing up, it can put your entire cycle at risk just because you injected yourself at the wrong time. People have alarms set on phones, you know, they've got Alexa and they've got Google, they've got everything set up. They have to pull the trigger shot at the exact time the doctor tells them. That then sets them up for the egg collection by the doctor at the particular time over the next day or so. It's massively, massively important and really stressful for people. And stressful because you have to probably either self-administer this or your partner has to do it. Exactly. So you either have to get very good at giving yourself injections or your partner has to do it or a friend. And we have to remember not everyone has a partner. True. Some people are going solo. When we listen to stories of people like Jessica Hepburn and Amber and Hannah and all these incredible women that have come on the show, they have got high profile jobs. This is why we were saying, where were the meds? Where were the needles? They're shooting up at work because yeah. it's it's 36 hours before or they're in the stage before when they're doing stims. And then they're going off to the business meeting and they've just injected themselves with all these hormones. It's really incredible. And I have to say hats off to all women that are going through this because it's massive. Yeah. If you want to know what grit really looks like, go through infertility. Yeah, absolutely. And then last-ish stage of the process is, of course, the egg collection. And again, incredibly nerve-wracking day. This happens with a needle. It's attached to an ultrasound. It's inserted through the vagina. And eggs are then taken from the follicles from each ovary, and then they're placed into separate test tubes. A lot of people here will have a mild sedative or an anaesthetic. And again, you hear people, they, they like to be positive about it. So they talk about having a nap. They're like, they're under, you know, they have a nap, they wake up, takes around 20 minutes, and hopefully they get as many eggs as possible to increase chances of ending up with some healthy embryos. You start taking progesterone at this point, and this is to um, get you ready for a nice, healthy pregnancy, to prepare the lining of the uterus, and hopefully do what you would want your body to do naturally if it was preparing for a pregnancy. It's a massive, massive day. Some women take the day off work the following day. It's not that you can't get up and move around. It's just take it easy within the first 24 hours and just for their mental health. And for a lot of women, it, your clinic isn't just next door. You hear people and they're traveling three hours to their clinic. Sure. But for a lot of people, they're feeling hope. 
they're feeling hope that they've had a lot of eggs collected and hopefully the next stage will go well. It really is a time to put your feet up. <laughs> yeah. It is you definitely, it. <laughs> definitely a box set day. You treat yourself, you deserve it. You absolutely do deserve it. So you're there, you've had your egg collection. Again, really stressful time. You're waiting for feedback from your clinic. Basically, your eggs are now being stored. They're in a special fluid, they're stored in an incubator. And then usually what happens is they'll be mixed with your partner's sperm. They'll have a little party, get to know each other. They're left for, you know, around 20 hours to fertilise. And it's that fertilisation that then turns the egg into the embryos. And again, massively important stage because this is where your clinic will get in touch with you to let you know how many of those eggs have actually developed into embryos. And then again, this bit's kind of incredible and you see some incredible images of embryos developing. Fingers crossed that this embryo turns into your child. You are watching your child develop cell by cell. It is the most incredible thing. So embryos, they go through multiple stages. The last stage that they reach is called the blastocyst. And then what happens is the best embryos, if you like, will be chosen for transfer. Aren't they graded at that point? Yes. So clinics will grade embryos. And again, it depends on the quality of the embryo. This is where, again, there's so many possible stress points here as if it isn't stressful enough, but you might have an AA or you might have an AB embryo. People get really stressed because they're like, oh, my embryo was only a CC and they get really worried about it. And I don't know, I feel really mean talking about embryos like that. Equally with my clinical head on, I get it. You want to be putting in the best quality embryo to increase your chances of a live birth. There's nothing about this process that's easy. Even the categorization of the embryo is difficult. It isn't. And we've touched on this in earlier shows. You do hear women talking about, I've got embryos in the freezer. What do I do with them? Let's just say your IVF round is successful. Amazing. You have a child. You might then have maybe two, three embryos still in the freezer. So these are fertilized eggs. What do you do with them? Some people will choose just to have a go, transfer them all over. Maybe we have more children. Some people don't want more children. That's absolutely fine. Some people want one child and they're done and they're absolutely delighted with life. Again, it's a whole other thing where you have to choose. There's also the very practical issue of clinics charge you to store your embryos. So you're having to pay thousands of pounds. You've said it very nicely. Nothing is easy in this entire process. So after all of this, after all of these needles and decisions and stress and worry and counting, you finally, finally get to the bit where you do the embryo transfer. This normally takes place on day two, three, five or six. Again, it depends on your clinic. It depends on the situation. It depends on your embryos. And again, another tube into your vagina and it's placed near the middle of the uterus. As would happen naturally, the idea is that the embryo will find its way to the lining of your uterus and as would happen naturally it will make itself very comfortable in there and grow into a lovely healthy baby and this is what would happen through a, a kind of naturally conceived pregnancy and obviously that's what clinics are trying to do so they inject it in and you you hope and this is where you are in the horrendous dreaded two-week wait and you're sitting there and you're trying not to symptom spot and you're trying not to go on mum's knee and you're trying not to test and then you probably do all of those things anyway. The difficulty with this is as well, because the trigger shot, which I talked about before, is HCG, that's what pregnancy tests pick up on. Ah, I see. If you test early, you're going to get a positive because you're picking up the trigger shot. 
So you have to let the trigger shot work its way out. And actually I've seen, they're actually quite beautiful. I've seen people who know that they're testing out the trigger shot and you see the pregnancy sticks fade, fade, fade. It's like a rainbow. Fade, 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 fade. Then they know that the trigger shot's gone. So they know that if they then get a positive, that's the pregnancy. And then hopefully they're pregnant and it, and it comes back. I think I totally would do that. Yeah, I get it. There must be something glorious about weighing on one of these damn sticks and it comes up as positive. <laughs> I don't know if it'd be a double-edged sword because that's what you've wanted all your life. The first bit isn't, isn't the pregnancy. Yeah, I think I want to make sure it was out. And the next pregnancy test I will be taking will give me a real answer. I completely understand where you're coming from. For me, it's controlling the very few things you can seem to control. Because what you're controlling there is the information. And then the answer will be what the answer is. The answer will be what the answer is. What can you do to help your clients, both physically and psychologically, cope with this? I think the best way for me to answer this is just to tell you what my clients in this position have said. And I have got a number of clients at the minute who are going through these stages. You know, they're going for stims, they're having the baseline scan. And the thing that they say to me every single time is, I've worked my ass off to get here. I have worked so hard to get into great physical shape. I've lost weight. I've hit my target BMI. I want to keep doing everything I've been doing to make sure that my body continues to be in the healthiest, best possible shape to encourage a healthy pregnancy. What we do for them is, as long as their doctors give them the go-ahead, because, you know, that's always really important, we can do pregnancy-safe workouts. So they're in that two-week wait in particular, if they are pregnant, we're not doing anything that would, you know, officially risk the pregnancy. That will help their mental health. They're like, do you know what? I'm in the two-week wait. I'm going to work out, but I'm going to do pregnancy-safe workouts. So just in case I am pregnant, I'm still maintaining a nice, healthy body but I'm doing it in a way that feels nice and safe and in control. And that really helps them just to, do you know what, just to give them something to do in the two week wait as well. <laughs> you know, if they can get a couple of workouts in, it distracts them when they come off the phone to release the happy hormones, you know, exercise, you feel good, you get the endorphins, you get the dopamine. It's just, it's a lovely way to counterbalance the, the kind of cortisol and the stress hormones that are released, the adrenaline. Yeah, you got to chase that oxytocin, don't you? In a big way. Oh, love oxytocin. Because you're just filling up on the cortisol and we've done a we've done a fertility focus this week on cortisol about that lovely stress hormone so we'll certainly go back and listen <laughs> to that and then next Tuesday we'll have the accompanying oxytocin focus because oxytocin is basically the antidote to cortisol and cortisol mm -hmm. is what wastes through your body when you're very stressed and exercise releases oxytocin. Also talking. Oh, yeah. Being around friends. It's so good. It's so good for stress relief. One of the things I love about the group of women I've got at the minute is I've actually, um, I've paired two of them up. Not in real life, but they now message each other on WhatsApp. And they have agreed when they work out three times a week, they message each other on WhatsApp. They just say, see you in the morning. And they now chat to each other about their process as and when they're doing the workouts as well. And this is an amazing thing because they're both now working out three times a week, which is incredible, but they've also got each other is this lovely community support. And, you know, from what they tell me, it's working really well for the two of them, but it's exactly what you said. They've got each other. They've got a little bit of a community going on and anything that releases the oxytocin, the dopamine, the serotonin, all the feel good chemicals. Absolutely. You know, it's so, so important in this journey. And I, and I love that about the women I've got training at the minute. There's a lovely, lovely group. And didn't you say you had one of your clients that their uterus lining has actually improved? 
Oh, there's been so many lovely bits of news that I've had over the last couple of weeks. One of the women, she's been working really hard and her lining basically developed better than expected, which is just lovely news. And it actually meant that they could bring her embryo transfer forward, which obviously is fantastic. It's fantastic news. So I've got absolutely everything crossed for her. I've got a woman, I'm not naming any names here because it's confidential, but I had a consultation with a client last night and I am honestly so proud of her. She has cut out caffeine. She is now working out regularly maybe two or three times a week. She is eating a fertility focused diet and she's dropped the three o'clock chocolate bar basically that she was having every day. No one can do that. (laughs) Oh, I know. That was the one that I went, no, it was incredible. She has done such an amazing job. And again, she's got an appointment coming up soon. So she's got the goal. She knows it's coming up. But what I love about what she's done is she's now been training for maybe seven weeks. She hasn't done this all in week one. She has taken such an amazing approach to this. She's done baby, you know, one thing every couple of weeks. It's so smart because the reason why when we fall off the wagon so spectacularly is that we we make that wagon really unpleasant. (laughs) There's nothing good on that wagon. (laughs) I've seen best of luck to her. And there's so much to IVF. This time next week, we will be doing the IVF extras, which is all the additional bits that will be offered to you as part of your IVF journey. Different ways of categorizing it and evaluating it because all those extras cost money. Mm -hmm. On next Tuesday's focus, we will be looking at oxytocin because we have to make everyone happier, Maria, during this process. Everyone has to be made happier. Yeah, I agree. The oxytocin, the focus is really interesting as well. I I love looking at all the hormones. They're just so interesting and they can just make such a difference to your life and your IVF outcomes. So yeah, focus next week will be fabulous. Thank you so much for listening to this week's show. Remember to subscribe to get a shiny new episode each week and please rate, comment and really importantly, share with your friends, especially our trying to conceive sisters. You never know who's struggling and they may need that little bit of extra help. This may come as a surprise, but we're not doctors. We strongly recommend you consult your doctor before beginning any exercise and nutrition program. Get everything checked out first. Your safety is our priority. This has been a Worth a Listen production.